little break last week. We looked at uh, an emphasis that even the youth would faint. And I shared with you the exit of young people from the evangelical church, uh, 260,000 a year, 712 a day, uh, 19 after 19, most, uh, a good majority of them leave, uh, and we never see them unless they come back broken, uh, pregnant, divorced, uh, sometimes diseased. Uh, other words, sin doesn't treat them well. Uh, but they can't wait to get away from the influence of the home, and they really get to show if it's their faith or not. Up to the age of 18, uh, if you were born in a Christian home, you were taken to church a lot. If not, of course, you're, uh, it was a, a miracle that you even came during those years. But uh, I wanted to look today at... Uh, fatherhood and biblically what that looks like because we're in a shattered culture uh, where an endangered species happens to be fathers. Uh, uh, a generation of men that want sex but don't want to be a father. And uh, so they can father many children, be the donor, but never raise anyone to maturity. Uh, and so being a father uh, is a great privilege, great responsibility, and I challenge you uh, as a father, it's easy to look out here, and some of you, you've already raised your children. You say, man, I'll write this one off. Uh, he can't mess with me. Well, maybe, uh, when are you ever not a father once you become one? And... Uh, we're going to look at three things about a godly father that I challenge you men. I don't want to bash you. I want to challenge you. Uh, men today are pressured. As I was uh, uh, reading material on the Industrial Revolution, for years, a boy grew up around his dad uh, on the farm. Uh, many times, it was the pattern for years up to the 1800s that if your dad was a cobbler, you learned to be a cobbler. If your dad was a farmer, you, le you learned to do what your father did, and you fell right in step. The family farm, the family business, all of that. Something happened in the Industrial Revolution. When we started building factories, uh, people had to leave their home to go to work. And if you saw any of the Roosevelt special, and you see Teddy Roosevelt trying to pass child labor laws where you cannot work a child 12 to 14 hours a day for less than 50 cents an hour. And, and he campaigned for that. But imagine in that revolution, you leave the farm, they start moving to the cities. And in that, dad would leave many times before the family ever got up. So he goes to work, he comes home at night after dinner many times, if he got in at 7, 6.30, and he comes home with some hungry, maybe tired children, and so he had little time, there was no recreation, no vacations. Uh, our family knew hardly anything about vacations, 
because my father was in construction work, and if you took off, there was not a paid vacation. Never heard of it. No such thing as a paid. You take off, you pay for it, you lose your wages. So, as a whole, worked right on through the summer. There's none of this, the annual vacation. You work, you work, you work. So in the midst of that, we not only had the men leaving the home, and mom was at home until after World War II, and even during World War II, the shipyards for sure magnetized women to go to the workplace. We needed their help. And so they started a trend that is with us to this day that the majority of American homes, if they have a dad and a mom, both work, work at least 40 hours a week. What's interesting, uh, I've traveled to some other countries, for instance, Germany. They have all kinds of holidays, holidays, vacations, holidays. In America, believe it or not, people are working longer. They have said median income has not gone up. It has not kept up with inflation. So wages are not much greater, but demands are much greater. We, we expect you, uh, I know a man that uh, uh, as a lawyer, a very successful lawyer, was being beaten out by the young bloods coming into the company. Why? Because he was going home at seven in the evening, had three sons. And when he was younger, you'd come there, he said many time lawyers, he was in New York City, they would stay all night. Okay, all right. And so that when the young bloods came up, he started looking bad because he wanted to get home by seven. Isn't that terrible? He's been there since six, 6.30. You stay all day, you're not a company man. What is a company man? We can, it's not our fault you had three boys. It's not our fault you got children. We want to consume you. Tim reminds me, I used to say to him, how long will PG&E own you? Because we, as, as a board member, being a part of the elders and, and deacons, uh, many a nights, I remember about 7.30, he would drag into an elders meeting, trench coat on, soaking wet, had gone on BART in the morning at 5.30, got out of the city, got home by around 7.30, and then we want him to sit right down, and would you give us a prayerful decision? You gotta be kidding. He needed a hot cup of coffee and a bath, and he needed to faint. He didn't need another church activity. And I used to wonder, will God ever set him free? Same with Edwin. We got men in this church. Here's another thing. Volunteerism in the church. You know where much of it is gone? By the time a guy gets his job and gets three kids in sports, there's nothing left to volunteer for. I got to have my kids in hockey, you know, let's say polo. We got to do that. I got to have a kid in ball team. I want my kids to excel. And, and boom. And what time did you get home? 6.30? What do you mean? Well, we'll grab maybe 20 minutes worth of fast food, hit the road, and now watch. In this home that you did not have in the biblical world, in this home, I want you to get the feel of what it's like to be an American, an American home. 
And even guys like me, we did not grow up with this. Now when I'm talking to a child, maybe grandchild, they're texting while I'm talking. What? You're texting? I'm talking to you. I know, but you're boring the daylights out of me. And then, oh, uh, not just TV, of which the old statistics would say a person saw about 20,000 hours of TV by the time they uh, left home. Well, oh, kids aren't watching TVs. Oh, what about video? What about computers? What about cell phones? All of this is bringing whose message? God's message or the world's? So the brain wars is constant. Because you've got to have an iPhone, and it starts out this way. I want my kids to feel safe. Well, you just gave them an instrument that gives them an automatic entrance to pornography. You just gave them an entrance to all kinds of trash. Oh, well, they can turn it off. Yeah, they can turn it on. Do you think at 15 I'm going to tell my dad I'm looking at naked women? No, 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 no. No, I was smart enough to survive. See, a playboy was a bonus vacation. Now I got it right here. Let's quit being naive and stupid. I hear people say, well, I'll hear them knock Christian schools. Well, I don't want my kid to, I don't want them to be isolated from the world. Don't worry, honey, there's no possibility. The world is penetrated on every front. I heard William Bennett give a line that I preached on, I've not forgotten, that he said, all we're doing with kids today is feeding and clothing. The culture has already kidnapped their soul. It's already stolen their values. They don't have the values of your home necessarily. They have the values of their college, of their peers, of their friends, whatever. So, listen to what Ephesians says. Chapter 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And all the parents said, Amen. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. Amen. That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Right out of Exodus and Deuteronomy. Fathers. Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Turn over to Colossians, if you will. I don't know what I am doing. It's making it do that. Uh, Colossians 3.21 Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. I want to just consider three things of what I think makes up a godly father to carry out this. It says very little about it in the New Testament because you've got Deuteronomy, you've got Proverbs, uh, they've got all this other sacred scripture. I would say three things that uh, really characterizes a godly father. Number one, the man's heart has been captured by God. He's not just affiliated with the church, and he doesn't just 
drive down here and drop his kids off. God has actually captured his heart. That's number one. Two, uh, he's one who is affectionate about the children God gave him. He doesn't raise his children on this phrase. I can't wait till you leave home. I can't wait till you get out of here. We'll have one less mouth to feed. Your home has an environment that tells your kids you're either welcome, it's good to be there, or it's we can't wait till you get out. Uh, and thirdly, uh, a dad is voted in to be a teacher. He's got to be a teacher. He cannot be passive. Uh, you bring home a little barbarian from the hospital. They don't know Christ. Uh, they are, have an eternal destiny. And the first evangelist in their life ought to be you and mom. Lois and Eunice led Timothy to the Lord. Lois and Eunice taught him the scriptures. And by the way, women do the majority of the shaping of most children. The women. The man's out in the workplace, whatever. But these women, through history, have been the lifesaver. What's that line? Whoever rocks the cradle, what is it? Rules the world. And so we want to ask ourselves, uh, what does a man with a heart for God look like? And we go to the classic, often used passage in Deuteronomy 6. We'll briefly look at it. Turn with me. Deuteronomy 6. The reason it's so important is Israel is getting ready to go into Canaan. There's no schools, no synagogue, no central place of worship. There's nothing but paganism, gross immorality, idolatry. The environment is totally opposed to everything uh, that this people of God are to represent. And so the issue is, how, how can we survive our environment? How can we survive the culture we've been planted into? So listen to what he says. Verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. This is a godly man. He takes God seriously and his heart is engaged. Now the struggle we have in our youth groups Many of our kids don't come from godly homes. Gabe Lopez and Manny, they're the only maybe Christian men that some of our young people know. And we can have behavior problems, rowdiness. Can they show up? Because they've never seen the template. They don't know what normal is. They don't know what it looks like. But here he's telling this man that's been delivered from Egypt, you you must be sure your heart is attuned to God. That he's the one, you're undivided in your heart. And these words I command you to be on your heart, what do you do with them? Now there's the biggest trick, is getting men not to be passive in church, not to be affiliated, but not in the army, 
and watch our youth group and watch our church. You're not doing enough for my kid. We can't replace you. What are you doing? What are you doing? What if we got the worst youth group in the county? So what? You're still dad, aren't you? You're, you're feeding them. You're setting rules. You're at the table nightly. They watch how you treat your wife. You have been voted in the teacher of the year. What are you teaching? What are you modeling? Man, I grew up with small youth groups. I grew up in small churches. If it wasn't for my cousins, I wouldn't hardly have anyone to go to church with. That was my age. Small. I mean, we're talking about five to ten kids. Woo, that's what made me was those youth groups. You've got to be kidding. What the church was doing was minor compared to the impact of the home. Rich Rollins, his, one of his favorite lines, you know, he said, we're trying to turn the tide and we can't get the, hope, the home to help us. We're looking at the church. The church is losing them. The church is losing them. You are losing them. They're your kids. They're your children. And it doesn't necessarily mean they'll be saved, but what will they get since God appointed you their parents? Dad, what do you love most, the NFL or God? You know how we know what you love? You talk about it. You talk about what you love. And if in your home it's nothing but TV, interference, this, that, shut up, the game's on, this is on. What permeates your home? Watch what he says to do here. It's so um, normal, so um, it actually looks like it's just natural. These words I command you, get them on your heart. And when you get them in your heart, teach them diligently to your children. Oh, I'm not a teacher. I'm a carpenter. Doesn't matter what your vocation is. This is your boy. This is your girl. You teach your children and talk of them when you sit in your house. Turn off the TV and have a family conversation. Eat dinner together. Talk life in your house. And when you uh, walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise, when you go to bed, when you get up, when you go to the store, when you take them to school, God is on the agenda. You don't plug him in every Sunday. And you don't have fried preacher for lunch. If you're always down in the church or you don't like some, please don't do it around your kids. Spare them your messed up heart. Spare them. It's hard for them to get excited about something making you miserable. You can't hide it. I don't like the church. I don't like this. Wow. Can't you give them a break? When you walk, don't talk about the church. They didn't even have a church. Talk about the Word of God. Talk. You find anything wrong with the Word of God? How about talking that? 
You don't have to brainwash them on Valley. We're just another weak, feeble church trying to stay alive in a pagan culture. Just like your home. Huh? Okay. Then he says, so it seems to be, uh, you know, I think many people do we do family devotions. You know you don't. You watch TV. You take in other media. But here, no phones, no interruption. And then he says, you should publish the word of God in your house. It'll be seen. Uh, this seems so far-fetched. This is 1445 B.C. But you know what? Jews still exist on the earth, and they still observe holy holidays. They still have kept their traditions. They still know something about Abraham. They've survived all the years of Gentile anti-Semitism, and they still exist as a people. It is a miracle of divine preservation. I just came back being with a group in Chicago, Jews all over the place. They should have been liquidated by the treatment of the Gentiles, but they still study Torah. They still know the law, and it's, they've survived not by the school system, but by the home. You have to ask yourself, will any of my posterity know God? The first thing you do when you come home is start evangelizing your child. And I think what you do as soon as you can is, you are a sinner and you need a savior. I wouldn't trust anybody else to do that if I wasn't doing it, right? I always wanted to be there when my kids got saved, but God removed me as a hindrance. They got saved always with somebody else. A daughter got saved in a, a club, neighborhood club. My daughter, Rebecca, was saved with Leanne Williams on a Tuesday night Bible study. Elizabeth accepted Christ on a patio with her mother. I didn't get credit for any of it. Just save them, Lord. Save them. Now, uh, in that, he goes to 1 Thessalonians, and he uses a beautiful thing that he describes his love for the Thessalonians, and he compares it two ways. I was as gentle with you as a nursing mother, chapter 2, and I engaged with you like a caring father, and the caring father was I exhorted you and I encouraged you. Now, that's interesting. When I ask people, how much encouragement did your father give you in the home? Or did he keep calling you a dummy and that you'd never amount to anything? Or did he keep kind of pushing you off? The home is to be the great coaching center that you can face life, you can make it, and we're here to coach you. We're here to help underwrite you every way we can. And so you see in the Thessalonians, we were among you. We were affectionate towards you. And I would say a godly father ought to reflect the love of God the Father towards his offspring. I mean, uh, I don't know where this concept, uh, I know when we look at family pictures, when you go back to um, all the early 1900s, uh, 1800s, uh, wow, those people 
look bleak. You look at them, hard times, uh, no showers, uh, eking out a living on barren farms sometimes, uh, living in shanty houses almost, no insulation, cold winters. I mean, it was survival, survival. And then you start moving up, you know, about 60s, they start looking better. Start looking better. Times are getting a little bit easier, a little bit easier. But out of that came an austerity, it seemed to me like, among men especially, that it was tough. you got to be tough. you got to keep a stiff uh, upper lip. Boy, don't cave in. You can make it. Don't show emotion. And it was all a part of that male identity. In a way, there's something a little bit better than that than today for us not to know what you are, male or female. A little kid asked, uh, was asked, uh, uh, what is Michael, Jans- uh, Michael Jackson? He said, uh, they said, male or female? He said, both. Unisex, lose identity, but shouldn't one of the identities of a man be in the tender way he treats his children over anyone else? And Paul uses this, and I borrow from it in First Thessalonians, won't run there with you. But you know how the child is taught. Are they being taught with a dad that says, you are an accident. I can't wait till you leave. Uh, you're a pain in the neck. Uh, they, the child knows if they're welcome. They know if they're welcome. And dad, shouldn't you put out the welcome sign? Should, or, or is it non-masculine to be affectionate? Who, who's been lying to you lately? Tough, you know. If my boy gets hurt, too bad. Toughen up. Get over it. Well, uh, I don't think it's the biblical picture. Now we've got to go to uh, Ephesians 6 and ask ourselves, if I raise a child in the discipline of the Lord... And in his admonition, what does that mean? What is the discipline? I mean, when you say it, it sounds bad, doesn't it? I don't want to be disciplined. Uh, because I think we start thinking of corporal punishment, uh, all of that. The word literally means to train, to train as a child. Raise them up in the training of the Lord. And when you read Proverbs written to my son, the training in Proverbs went like this. Verbal, about 95%. Invest words to shape the heart of your child. You've got to talk to them. You've got to talk. Um, When they say that the average father spends no more than 10 minutes a day talking to his child, is there any wonder, is there any wonder that they grow up not having any of the dad's values? They don't even know their dad. I'm to be seen, not heard. I don't know about your family, but uh, me being the youngest of seven, my sister's 14 years older than me. Paul's 10 years older. Had brothers up there older than Paul. 
uh, I love to be with him, grandpa, to hear family stories. No TV now. We're just asking, how did you make it over? How did you get out of the hills of Oklahoma? How did you survive the Depression? Uh, what were you doing in World War II? Uh, what were you doing in El Dorado, Kansas, when you were burying these kids? What were you doing? How did you, Okies, as it were, make it to California and ever survive? I wanted to hear it. We're telling Paul, record every story you remember, because he's with my grandmother a lot. Does your kids know anything about your family history? Do they know when you got saved? Have you ever shared that with them? Or is it a well-kept secret? Are you, oh, you're running that house? Uh, you're not able to turn off anything so you can pass on your affection and this training. Let me train you. Uh, I'll tell you something. It's, it sounds with you, you would say, eh, this is old fogey stuff. Too bad. I think when I took my brother to Oklahoma when I was going to uh, Dallas Seminary, I said, let's go up and see Auntie. He hadn't been to the home place since he's a little boy. I said, let's go up there. And when you go there, my Aunt Mildred uh, was probably in her late 60s or 70s at the time. And uh, a little holiness woman, pastor in the church there, and uh, just wonderful gal. And when you go to the old home place, they'd show you the cellar my grandfather had built for all those tornadoes. And show you this and that. And the girls, I heard it ever since I was a little kid, they always take you to the place at the creek where my grandmother, who had ten children, would pray every morning and used to pray, save my grandchildren to the fourth generation. Save my grandchildren. Save my grand. Back here in those hills, 10 children, that's a pretty good quiver full of kids. Cold winters, a drunken husband at times, a man who spent a year in McAllister prison for trying to kill a man. That was her husband. She had to stay home and raise the kids. You got any family stories you're telling your kids? Who's set the curriculum in your home? Men, why don't you stand up? Why don't you get some backbone and say, I'm not letting this pagan anti-God culture determine what my kids are taught. I'm going to be the main teacher. I'm the teacher in this home. And that's what God wants you to do. Teach them in the discipline or the training of the Lord. Now, you say, well, what would the Lord have you teach a child? Have any of you ever read Proverbs? There's 31 chapters. That means if you read a chapter for every day of the month, you'll read Proverbs 12 times this year. On the 12th day, you read the 12th chapter. And listen to the things he said you ought to be teaching them. My son, listen to the instructions of your father. Fear the Lord, for it's the beginning of all understanding. Until you get your heart engaged with God, you'll live like a fool. Fear God. Get vertical. Majoring in geometry will not give you the wisdom for life because you can have a triple Ph.D. and be on your fifth wife. You need some wisdom on how to make it through life. Teach. Teach them. He goes on in chapter 1. 
a big, big chapter on watch out for peer pressure. Young people, don't take the dare. Don't smoke the drugs. Don't take the dare. Don't let your peers ruin your life. That's what he warns. For calamity will come. Chapter 2, seek wisdom. Chapter 3, trust the Lord with all your heart. Chapter 4, guard your heart, for out of it are the issues of life. Chapter 5, sex is for marriage. Don't go drink muddy water when you can have pure water at home. That's what he says. Chapter 5. Chapter 6, he says, there's seven things God hates. And one of them is to take another man's wife and sleep with her. You will take coal, you will burn it in your bosom, and you'll have a permanent scar for life. Do not transgress. Chapter 7, young men, hear me. There are professional women that have been trained to kill men. They're called harlots. Here are her tricks. Don't fall into the trap or you will be led like an ox to the slaughter. I'm teaching you, young man. This is your daddy teaching you. Not just the girls. The morals have got to be inbreded in the men. They don't get to just play around and we get all hard on the girls. Hey, boy, God says you're playing with fire when you step over that boundary. Who told you that? Your daddy. I don't need to send you to family education where they teach you how to wear a condom and they think that's the moral boundaries you need. No, I want to teach you what God did with man and woman, his design for godly sexuality. And we're, we're not prudish. We raise children. We're not afraid of sex. How do you think you got 10 of them? We're not afraid of sex. We're afraid of how it's used to market everything. What do we teach them? Well, you want to teach them and train them in the Lord. Now, what if this was going on at the home? The old Puritans used to take them through catechisms that were written by the Presbyterians. Spurgeon wrote his own for his Baptist congregation. Uh, what's the curriculum being taught in your home? Is there any curriculum? Have you found anything? Even go through Proverbs, maybe one or two proverbs a day is all that little child can take. Uh, talk it on the way. Train them in the discipline. And then he says admonition. And the word admonition there is the word to warn, to rebuke, to warn. It's a negative message. Don't do that. That'll hurt you. And, and look, when you read proverbs, don't run with a fool. You'll get hurt. Uh, don't uh, misuse money. Don't drink. Don't become a drunk. That'll hurt you. Uh, don't separate intimate friends. Uh, on and on. Wisdom, wisdom, wisdom. And would to God Solomon would have followed some of it. Instead, he said, I got a lust for women and alliances and power, and it brought his ruin turned him into an idolater. Uh, so I would just challenge you uh, as a dad, we need your help. Uh, it's your children at stake. Uh, I think our youth department is doing the best they know how. Uh, they're reaching out, they're uh, uh, planning, they're doing everything. 
We're just saying, what are you doing in the home? Do you ever pray with your kids? Do you ever go in their bedroom at night and read a verse or talk about anything that's spiritual? Uh, you know, some of the fondest memories since I've had an empty nest for many years, some of the fondest memories are all the conversations with my daughters and how many night sessions ended on our bed talking, talking, talking. Guess what? It wasn't time wasted. It was time shaping hearts and passing on values. You've got to make time. There's two uh, tensions in life. Urgency, important. Which things are you going to do? You know what? Uh, your prayer life doesn't seem urgent until you're full of anxiety or in a crisis. Your marriage doesn't seem to be urgent. If you don't hear any squeaking, everything seems to be well. And so we can neglect the important and always doing the urgent. And, and uh, what's that? We've got to pick up the clothes at the cleaners right now. Got to get the oil changed. We've got to go to the bank. It's urgent. It's urgent. It's urgent. All of this stuff. And we keep saying this is important, but it can wait. It can wait. Uh, famous song, and the words are still haunting. I read them to you. My child arrived just the other day. He came to the world in the usual way. But there were planes to catch and bills to pay. He learned to walk while I was away. And he's talking for I knew it. And as he grew, he'd say, I'm going to be like you, Dad. You know, I'm going to be like you. And the cat's in the cradle and the silver spoon. Little boy blue and the man in the moon. When you're coming home, Dad, I don't know when, but we'll get together then, son. You know we'll have a good time then. My son turned 10 just the other day. He said, thanks for the ball, Dad. Come on, let's play. Can you teach me to throw? I said, not today. I got a lot to do. He said, that's okay. And he walked away, but his smile never dimmed and said, I'm going to be like him, yeah. You know, I'm going to be like him. And the cat's in the cradle and the silver spoon, little boy blue and the man in the moon. When you're coming home, Dad, I don't know when, but we'll get together then, son. You know we'll have a good time then. Well, he came home from college just the other day. So much like a man, I just had to say, son, I'm proud of you. Can you sit for a while? He shook his head and he said with a smile, what I'd really like, Dad, is to borrow the car keys. See you later. Can I have them, please? When you're coming home, son, I don't know when, but we'll get together then, Dad. You know, we'll have a good time then. I've long since retired, and my son's moved away. I called him up just the other day. I said, I'd like to see you if you don't mind.
He said, I'd love to, Dad, if I can find the time. You see, my new job's a hassle, and the kids have the flu, but it's sure nice talking to you, Dad. It's sure nice talking to you. And as I hung up the phone, it occurred to me, he'd grown up just like me. My son was just like me. It's uh, heartbreaking to see adult people who are not good to their parents. And they're not around them. They're no help. They have no time for aging parents because the aging parents had no time for them. And this generation is falling a piece to pieces. And guess what? All the kids in it didn't make it fall to pieces. It's what they've seen all the adults doing. No time for God. It's just pursuing their own pursuits. God not mentioned harshness, non-affection. Uh, fathers and mothers, that if they went to church, didn't really have a heart for God. It was just a duty. I pray that God will use you to rescue your children and your grandchildren while you still have breath, still have influence. And we all know that only God can save. But I pray he'll make you a partner. Want it. A godly father, the endangered species. May God raise up men in this church that will not be passive, will not be just token attenders, but get engaged in the battle for the soul, the mind, and the destiny of their own children. If you won't, I will not be surprised at what happens. It will take a miracle for God to do something through the church if you don't help us in the home. We need to be partners. We need to be partners. Our Father, we are grateful to you for your love, for your mercy, for your kindness in saving any of us. I thank you for every godly influence from a young age. But so many of our young people have none of that. I see many of them lacking it, even with so-called Christian parents that seem to be asleep at the wheel. Everything squeezes out God, his word, and a lifestyle where I bleed. I bleed scriptures. I talk to them. I'm shaping them. I'm trying to protect them. I'm warning them. I'm instructing them. I'm loving them while I can. All too soon, they will leave this home. And then they'll be on their own. Oh, Father, raise up a generation of godly fathers in this church. Bless the men that are away at the men's retreat. May their hearts be blessed and stirred as they are challenged to be godly men in an ungodly world. We pray, Father, guide us, guide us, give us family revival work in our homes before it's eternally too late. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you.